Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. Talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Welcome into episode 105 of The Full Goal Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer. And of course, Spotify is the gang. I am him. Hey, what's happening, y'all? How y'all feeling? I am feeling a whole lot better since the last time we talked. I am refreshed, renewed. I probably gained like five or six pounds. Shout out to Uber Eats. Boy, I can't wait till my fiance gets back home because I am in here living like a child. Hey, dig? I, like the, at this point now, there are so many strangers running up and down my, my steps, dropping off food at the door. Like I'm, I, it, it, it really, at, it seems like there's a crack house in here. Like there's, there's a lot of foot traffic <laughs> and I know, you know, you, you hate to be those neighbors, but I don't give a damn because yeah, you know, she isn't here and I haven't turned on the oven. Not once, not near one time. And I'm enjoying all of it. Oh man. So <sighs> White Sox fans, I got to talk to y'all because the team just doesn't seem sharp right now. And and for whatever reason, you know, you, you take three out of five against the Kansas City Royals and the finale today, even watching that thing where it's like, hey, man, pound Hernandez out. Get get these eight, nine runs off of him in these first four. He was begging to be killed out there and high, hanging high slider after high slider. It's just they just 
haven't seemed sharp enough. And obviously, you look at the, the record and go, okay, yeah, it's no, it's not you going out there on a limb, but it, it's, there's been something along the way. Seemingly, every game has been like, ah, that's just not, you're not sharp enough. And now you're going up against the Yankees, who are the Yankees. I mean, you got Stanton, you got Judge, you got Hicks, top to bottom. You got DJ LeMayhew. I mean, then you get to the pitch, and you got Nasty Nestor going up against Dallas Keuchel in game one of the series. Um, it, I hate to put so much on one series, but this is this is a big series, especially seeing a team as quickly, uh, you know, you, you're wrapping around one series. You know, you you see the Yankees and then you, you go play the Royals for five games in four days, you get a doubleheader thrown in there and bang, you're back right there with the Yankees. Like, I want this to have a playoff feel. Yankee Stadium has always had that vibe of like, of course, importance. But for me, there's always been that... um familial recognition. My grandfather in Belize, I don't know if y'all know this about the well, the country, there was a time there where the entire country was stealing cable. Like, there were people who did not have uh, running water, but had cable because it was coming in from Denver, it was coming in from Philadelphia, or it was coming in from New York. I will never forget this as a kid. And I would go in the summers to go hang out with my grandfather in Belize. And that's when I found out every summer that my grandfather was a huge Yankees fan. And my granddad had come back and forth to the States and lived on the East Coast and, and actually settled in Philadelphia after a while. But I, I would watch Yankees games and three and a half hours or four hours of sitting on the veranda watching Yankees games with my grandfather. And when I think of it, I'm like, man, like those times ring true to me still. So when I see Yankee Stadium and the new Yankee Stadium, people are like, oh, it's, it's cavernous. It doesn't have the same feel. Like seeing that uniform, seeing that hat, like that, that's not just big business, but, you know, hell, we were indoctrinated as kids when we were watching those racist ass Bugs Bunny cartoons, right? With the Gas House Gang and all of them, they had, they made you feel like, okay, I know Bugs and the boys are going up against a team that they can't call the Yankees, but they're the Yankees, right? They've been that before the beginning of time, seemingly. So, yeah, it's a big series. Dallas Keuchel, Johnny Cueto, you're going to get Dylan Cease out there. Um, Nasty Nestor at the beginning of that rotation, uh, at the beginning of the series. Um, you know, I, I I just need the White Sox to play sharper baseball, the baseball that we've been hoping that they could play. Like, for instance, you know, Reese McGuire goes out there today and after Tim Anderson takes over an inning, still in second, t- still in third, and Reese McGuire lays down a bunt. The offense starts to get rolling. Like the little things like that, you want to hope and think, okay, this can mean the start of something. This team can start playing better, especially offensively because of that. But then you see the the depiction or the definition or redefinition that has to happen of the White Sox strike zone as hitters. You know, they're not walking enough. They're not getting on base enough. And I don't know that I could just throw it on Frank Minichino and say, hey, by the way, tell him how to hit. Like Jose Abreu's been in the league now how long now? You know, he's been one of the best hitters of his era, you know, since he's been here from Cuba. It ain't on Frank Minichino to tell him to start taking pitches or, or to actually square up some of the pitches that he's taking. You know, his whiff percentage is down. You know, Jose Abreu is not, the Jose Abreu profile-wise that we've seen before. And maybe he's just a slow starter, but it feels different. So 
this was this was supposed to be the thing that every White Sox fan was looking forward to them avoiding because of how deep the lineup was. Yeah, two guys can be slumping, but that means nothing because you've got four or five other guys whose bats are going to be proper and respectable in the lineup. And for whatever reason this year, Yasmani Grandal can't string together, you know, a, a couple of good weeks in a row. The AJ Pollock edition has not lived up to what I thought it would be. Of course, no Eloy Jimenez. And then Luis Robert, who, you know, he, he, on the hit streak, you, you're seeing moments where, yeah, the star is getting ready to burst out of him. But in the beginning of the Royals game, him trying to figure out Hernandez's curveball bouncing, what's three feet in front of the plate, like the, the, the discipline and the, the, I don't even know if it's sticking to a scouting report, but the White Sox have to play better than just being the talented team out there. Like, we know how talented Luis Robert is. We know how talented Tim Anderson is. And I think these other baseball teams, obviously, they understand that too. But the White Sox seemingly play like their talent is going to get them over some of these mental hurdles and, of course, making up for some of these defensive miscues as well. Like, it's only so, only so much you can ask of the White Sox starting staff and this bullpen. Kendall Graveman has been outstanding. How often are you going to have to use him? You know, Liam Hendricks is relying more on a breaking ball and being a, a fastball dominant pitcher than we've seen. And, and when I see that happen, it's one of two things. Either he is getting new confidence and, and, and starting a, a different profile for himself, or, you know, his arm isn't where it needs to be right now. And I think of those things a lot with this pitching staff, especially with the shortened spring training. So the White Sox, Sitting at an average record at 500, heading into New York, I'm I'm trying to wonder and I'm trying to figure out if this team understands that the talent that it has isn't just it isn't good enough. You you can't just be talented out there. You have to do some of the little things and you have to be better defensively. And for the athletes that are out there, there's no excuse for this defense to be as poor as it is. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, it's Len Casper, the radio voice of the White Sox. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. As you can see, there's a, there's a pink couch behind me. It has nothing to do with me. Oh, right? that's, that's beautiful. That's yeah, beautiful. I, sit, I sit here in my seat and I talk baseball. And that's why I got you on. And I appreciate you for jumping on with us. As always, we're always recording here on The Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. I have the honor and the pleasure of bringing in a guy who uh, I, I can like kind of say like I've seen this thing from the jump. And I am uh, very, very uh, happy for him, very, very proud of him. And I don't mean it in like a kind of like a son in kind of way. I mean, in like a, a brother in the industry kind of way. Um, he is Connor McKnight from the White Sox flagship radio network here, ESPN 1000 here locally. Uh, Connor, thank you for jumping on. Uh, what the fuck is wrong with the White Sox, man? Because even... <laughs> even I don't even... 
you say all this nice shit, and, and I don't even get a second to say no, no, no. thank yeah. you or talk about how no. we <laughs> No, none of that. It's just no, like, no, I know, what's I wrong know you with agree Jose with me. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. I know you cool, agree cool. with me. I know you, I know you think you're super dope. You know, the hair is always on a thousand. Like, yeah, uh, you, well, got, you got married. Like, yeah. all the good shit has already been said. Let's talk about the thing that, you know, pains our balls equally. <laughs> Uh, the the Chicago, the Chicago White Sox, right? So after yeah. getting three out of five against the Kansas City Royals, it still felt like the, the Chicago White Sox lost these five games in a row. Um, and, and I've been trying to nail it down. Is it just that there are long slumps strung together consecutively and it's happening subsequently with other people. Like usually you get one guy who's on a slump and you're like, all right, he's not hitting the ball or this guy's not hitting the ball. This guy's just having a bad couple of weeks. First 38, 40 games of the season, you kind of figure out what you are. Um, This team doesn't pick up the ball well enough. Uh, There's some baseball IQ things every once in a while where it's like throwing it behind a base or, um, you know, getting caught stealing or, bunting for some reason like there, there's a lot of things that happen where it's like is this team 500 strictly off of talent or is this team 500 because of the things that they don't do because I I feel like I can look at it both ways because you know the, the pitching I'm, I'm not upset at but the bullpen has had some some issues here and there but more times than not for me it's been the offense so why is this team as average as it gets right now I think it's a mix of things. You know, I, I think when you get to analyze a baseball game, you know, it's not this, it's not the last play that you lose the game on. You know what I mean? Right. Like most sports are like that. It's never that one throw that gets you, right? I, we took a call on the post game show a couple of days ago. What was the, uh, it was two days ago, Josh Harrison got thrown out at home, yep. going around and yep. Joe McEwing's waving him and Ben Attendee throws that strike to home plate, the whole Perfect thing. Perfect throw. White Sox didn't lose on that play. I mean, it, they didn't lose on that play. They they almost tied it on that play. Right. They lost because they didn't walk. They lost because they don't have hits with runners in scoring position. And they lost because at times they've walked too many guys. Um, this is an offense right now that look, Jason, I, I I don't know the answer. I mean, you know me, right? Like I'm I'm going to find that answer if it's right. out there to find. The White Sox had the fourth highest walk rate in baseball last year, nine point six percent. They have walked 6.2% this year. That's worst in baseball. And that would be worst in baseball last year by a full click. Mm. I don't know how that happens endemically, right? Like, I, I don't know how that happens to a group of 15 hitters. I need to know. I, we need to find that. Well, Frank Minichino apparently isn't telling them to walk enough. I, lo- well, I love it. I love when we get see, to the hitting more, coach. Like, let's find no, a hitting coach nonsense. real quick. Like, if if we had that was the first call on the post game show today, right? It's a seven four White Sox winner, and it's hey, why isn't they talking about this? You know, and then <laughs> and you have a day where like you you are you have intrinsically proven the White Sox did today that coaching and scouting matters, and it's getting to hitters because when Tim Anderson comes up comes up there and takes a two walk game in the first two plate appearances of his day, that is proof positive that the notes got to the hitters, the scouting report got to the hitters. Carlos Hernandez couldn't have hit water. He fell out of a boat. Like, it just wasn't happening. And Tim took his walks, right? And so that matters. This isn't a team bereft of talent. Right. But what it is right now is is probably too far balanced in terms of right-handed hitters. It's got too many right-handed hitters that are rolling over on sliders right now and guys who are exceptionally talented but whose one weakness 
is going outside the strike zone for too much stuff. Whether that's Jose Abreu, whether that's Luis Robert, whether that's Tim Anderson, you know, you can do you can do it all. Uh, um, I think the I think this ship is going to right itself. It, it's a fair thing to ask, though. Will it correct itself to a certain degree that it's able to catch up with the Minnesota Twins? I think it can. So I don't think the Twins are all that great. That offense can be scary when it's all clicking. Um, but I, yeah, it's it's a lot of things at once, as it always is with baseball. You know what I mean? Like it's not when you. How, why are the Dodgers so good? Right? Let's ask the inverse question. Right. Because they got everything. Right. You know, like it's a what? It's not just Freddie Freeman. It's all the things. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dive into the offense then. Jose Abreu, you know, I don't think there's too many things that a hitting coach is going to tell him after being an AL MVP, after being one of the White Sox greatest hitters. You know, I mean, this, this is a guy who, since he's been here, has been the picture of consistency and productivity. Um, is there a big heavy bat? going on here like what like especially with the truncated spring training i've been trying to figure out along with the humidor issues and along with all the other things that baseball has going on right now in terms of runs being down why certain players and especially veteran players are being affected this way now is jose abreu notoriously a slow starter uh what's what's happened here where Jose Abreu hasn't looked like himself. And whenever we, we get like a little glimpse of it, we're like, all right, this is the game that he's going to be going good again. And then we see uh, the Jose Abreu, you know, getting caught, uh, striking out looking. Like I know the whiff percentage is down, but, you know, the, the same aggressive nature that we, we're used to seeing, we haven't seen at the outset this year. And when we have, he's not defining his own strike zone, to say the least, as well as, well as the other Sox hitters out there. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I like I like the the way you put it, defining your own strike zone, right? Um, I think we can take the AB he had, where the kid snapped off the curveball, you know, kind of broke him off and got him <laughs> today. Like that's kid made a good pitch. I mean, that's that's a good high, pitch. High curveballs aren't aren't to be expected. <laughs> no, that's not where anybody thought that was going. I saw that and was like, oh damn, I wouldn't have put that there. Good for yeah, him. Yeah. Good for you. As <laughs> try it again, I guess. But um, I, I think you know something I've noticed with Jose Abreu. When when he starts expanding the strike zone in the past, he doesn't go outside the strike zone so much. Like, he will dive for stuff. That'll happen. But he starts swinging at things that are closer and closer and closer to his body. Like, he'll, he'll, I've literally seen him swing at a fastball up around his neck and line it out to right field for a single. He's not swinging at that stuff right now, nor is he capitalizing on stuff that's on that inner third. I don't know whether that's a timing situation, a health situation, or just an it's early situation, but it does need to get fixed a little bit. Abreu's walk rate is up there. Um, there have been a number of, you know, whether it's Abreu or Sheets or even Luis Robert in some situations, you know, there's, there's a couple down the pipe that you'd like to see turned around. Yes, Monty Grandal has had a couple of these where you go, okay, well, that's, that's middle middle. Um, and that needs to get hit for a little bit of punishment. You know, that's got to go for extra bases. I, I think there's a degree here of gripping the bat a little bit too tight, you know, pressing some. This is this is a team that demands excellence of itself. You know, I mean, there's a lot of clubs where you can go up and down the line and say, well, this guy's just happy to hit the showers and head on back and, you know, come back next day, right? That's not this team. Like, I, I know it for a fact. It is highly committed to itself and to winning. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Jose Abreu, who has gotten it done, Every time, like every time it's been Jose Abreu driving guys in, um, maybe there is just a little bit of pushing too hard. Maybe Tony's right about that. And, and there is just a little bit of that going on. 
saw all glimpses of what Luis Robert has in his package uh, in the finale of the Royal Series. You saw him swing. I saw him swing like a 58-foot curveball where I was like, okay. And even Gordon Beckham pointed it out, too. He was like, all right, this is this is where the guy starts to ex- extend himself forward. We're not even talking about you know up, down, uh, left, right on, in terms of the plate. We're talking about lunging. And, and not seeing the ball. And then you see him line a single. Then you see him hit a home run. Uh, that, that redefinition of a strike zone or dictation of a strike zone. Uh, you know, he's, I heard your, your stat at the end of the post game today where it was 154 games in and some of the numbers that he's put up and some of the company that he's been surrounded by. A lot of people thought he was going to be a dark horse MVP candidate this year. Still has the opportunity to be so. What, what do we see in Luis Robert where it's, this is what's happening when he's going bad, and this what has to be and will be unlocked if he reaches his full potential, especially at the plate, because we all we all know what he is on the bases. We all know what he is in the field. Um, he could very well be the face of this franchise going forward, but what needs to happen as he matures and his value is understood not only by the rest of the Major League Baseball, but by him, more importantly, because I, I, I still think that Luis moves and thinks that he's just a cog when I think Luis should be moving and thinking like he's the man. Interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I, I you know, now that you put that lens out, yeah, there, more responsibility. I'll have to look through it a little bit. Yeah, yep. I have to look through that a little bit. I mean, you know, that's part of that got announced by Tony, right? I mean, when you move into the three spot in front of Jose Abreu, that's, I mean, you know, Tony might as well have made a t-shirt up that said, you're our guy. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that, that matters. You know, that's, that's one of the few symbolic things, you know, that, that really does speak. I think, you know, baseball is one of the few sports, Jason, and you know this, but like you can't, you can take advantage of Superman because he's Superman. In right. You can't do that to LeBron in his prime. You can't take advantage of LeBron in his prime because he's so good, but you can take advantage of some of the guy's strengths because they're his strengths. I think, the, the direct answer here is pitch recognition for Luis Robert. You know, you've heard Frank Manichino talk about it a lot. We're getting slidered to death, I think, was one of his quotes last week during the homestand. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the you look at the distribution of sliders, you look at where those balls are getting put by White Sox hitters right now, it's just, you know, ham and eggs, roll it over kind of stuff. Like, it's they need to punish sliders. Um, I think Robert, to a certain degree, wants to hit that fastball as well. And that's not a bad mindset to have when you look at what the rest of the offense is or isn't doing around him right now. Um, but I think I think pitch recognition is the thing. He swings at a lot. So you better know that when you're swinging, you're swinging at your pitch. You know, I, I think it's a little bit of, uh, you know, in this town, we did we did the prime with Javi Baez. And, and here's hoping he's got a more prime to him. You know what I mean? But when he was on, he was on one, you know? Mm-hmm. And Robert shows a little bit of that too, where, um, it wasn't the, wasn't the Homer. It was the three, two count he had where he worked himself back into it. Like un, he uncorkscrewed himself during an at bat. That is so rare to watch. Mm-hmm. Javi would do that. Other guys can do that, but it's a very rare skill to have. And he can do that, which, which impresses. Which bullpen arm do you trust the most right now? Uh, I trust Liam Hendricks the most right now. Um, availability is a skill set. Period, end of story. Availability is the skill set. And I think what we saw in his, you know, 12th save of the year, the, the ties the American League lead, uh, with the, uh, Blue Jays guy, which, good God, that's just a, yeah. that's, that's next level. Is what that yeah, got. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
It's like, like it's like the first time I saw like Billy Koch throw like a ninety six mile an hour slider. I'm like, all right, well, this well, is yeah, this should this should, should yeah yeah this should be right. It's like oh, <laughs> not implying oh, not implying that this young man is you know yeah, no, using not. the same techniques that Billy Koch did, <laughs> which was uh, we all know. <laughs> Blueberry or wintergreen chew, I thought, right? Yes. Maybe yes. a mix of the tim yes. where you gotta yep. swirl it around. Yep. That's all mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. I play softball with minor league baseball players long enough. Yep. And then you gotta really like you gotta you gotta out. flick the end there to make sure there's no bubbles. That noise. Did you ever learn how to <laughs> I never got it. I never understood how to make that noise. Don't worry, man. Don't worry. You got other talents. You got uh, other things. You got good. other things that, that shine through. Don't know that you ever worry. I, like, it's like I tell my son. If you never learn how to whistle one, man, you you you, you look good. <laughs> that's that's all that matters. Way. <laughs> what? Um, oh, Liam Hendricks. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The sports thing. <laughs> sports thing. Um, so watching the game tonight, uh, or this afternoon, Liam threw off speed when he was in spots to challenge. And even though not all of that off speed stuff was, you know, a strike or swung on a miss or anything like that. That, that approach, that tells me he's getting that grip on the slider. He's figuring out that curveball some. He's tweaked his curveball a little bit. He's talked about it some, but not a, not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's a good sign. Um, I still trust Liam Hendricks a lot. Uh, it's obvious Tony does too. You know, he's out there for five saves in a row, you know, matching a club record or, or coming down for a record on, on Addison Reed. He's chasing down Liam Hendricks chasing down Addison Reed was the chase we all didn't know we needed oh, yeah. in yeah. 2022. Um, but I trust Liam. I think Joe Kelly's going to get there. Uh, Kendall Graveman is really damn good. I mean, yes, really is. damn good. Yes, he is. Um, the, the conversation about when and how often he can throw, I think, is a fair one. And I, I won't, I won't begrudge the White Sox, whether it's position players or relievers, at this point for measuring their outputs for for making sure that like you know guys are healthy, guys are there, the innings are there for you know later. I don't think, you know, as, as middling as this start of the season has been, and you know, everybody from the White Sox is going to say the same thing. That's this is not where we wanted to be. They still expect to be there at the end of the year. Remember, we've got expanded playoffs this year too. Nobody wants, you know, that that White Sox team to squeak in, you know, on that on expanded playoff and play in whatever format we're doing now, win the Central, right? But I, I think there's a degree of if you want to get there, you got to have everybody healthy and ready to roll. I think that's still a fair thing to stick to. You know, like, like, like if you threw out that plan after 18, after 38 games, if you threw out that big a plan after two months of baseball, what, what would you be doing? You know what I mean? Like that's just such a huge fundamental part of how this team has constructed itself and how, what it's committed itself to. I, I can't fault him for it. So the, the win part of the pitching, I think is, being encountered damn near every time that a White Sox starter has a quality start going. And then Tony comes out there to come and get him. And you, we've seen it from a, a few guys. And of course, you want guys to be competitive, right? You want guys to be like, hey, I don't want to come out right now. And along with the truncated string, uh, spring training or training camp, and now going forward, you know, getting Lance Lynn back, I was worried that maybe they were rushing him back because of what was happening on the starting staff in terms of injury and COVID and all the other things and paternity lists. Uh, how do you think Tony has handled the starting pitching this year? And is it commonplace for guys to be 
um, questioning this early in the season when they're coming out because they're not doing it publicly. I mean, a couple of guys have mentioned in, in, in really poignant questions being asked and the better the question, the better the answer. But how do you think Tony's management of the starting staff has um, added to or, uh, I guess, detracted from this team's probable wins so far in their first 38 games? Honestly, I think it's been fine. I, I think it's been fine. Um, I, I think when you look at getting Lucas back from both the abdominal injury and COVID IL, um, you look at the the projection for Michael Kopech here and what they're asking him to do. Like he's pitching really well. I mean, that last last start is is interesting. I was on the call with that one with DJ, and you know it was kind of interesting to see that velocity drop and him still getting out of innings and stuff like that. We'll see what that next start looks like. You mentioned paternity list. You know that's where where Kopech is right now. Um, I think. I think you have to manage for the long haul here. You have to make sure that those innings are there. I don't think it should be, you know, forgotten that the institutional memory of this franchise right now is watching their starters, you know, really take it hard in that last month of the season last year and then mm-hmm. not be able to get through four against the Astros in any one start. Right. Um, Dylan Cease has made that step. I mean, let's just, let's, yeah. So if, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about, um, are the starters coming out at the right time? Are they being challenged the appropriate way? Are they being responded to when they do come out? Let's not forget that Dylan was handled in a very similar way that Michael Kopech was... Eh, I, that's probably unfair. A, a somewhat similar way as Kopech was. Situations are different. Dylan was there now, was there then, he's here now. I, I, we can't discount that kind of stuff. Um, I think... I think, too, when you're juggling three guys in the back end of the rotation right now with Johnny Cueto, Vincent Velasquez, and Dallas Keuchel, things become tricky. Uh, and I, I think he's managed that fairly well, too. Uh, and, and so is Ethan Katz. You know, I, I think that's part of the pitching infrastructure. That's part of the decision-making process. How are you enjoying this, man? Um, you know, careers take a lot of turns. And like I mentioned at the outset of this, I was, uh, I was privileged enough to see the start of, of your career for the people who don't know um tell people you know after after you tore up the the, the campus in madison uh <laughs> what, what steps what steps you took to get here yeah i was uh i was a, my first job out of college was covering college sports for a website for a year um i left that when uh in 2008 when everybody's money went away you may be experiencing something similar yes sir yes sir um uh that's so that job left and i um Let's see what I do after that. I was a high school English teacher for a little while. I was an intern with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, trying to get my way into a front office job in baseball. There you go. Uh, there's better ways to do it than I did it. Um, <laughs> and then I, I won a contest in Chicago to uh, to be on the score and and learn the uh, learn the tutelage of, of one Jason Goff and Dan Bernstein and Terry and all you know all you guys and Lawrence and everything. It was uh, you know so I spent five years there before leaving for my own show with the game. Uh, WGN, which uh, went under in nine months, and <laughs> <around> <laughs> after that, did this job for a couple of years. Um, moved over to the score again in circumstances that were fortuitous, but less yeah. than less than wonderful. Um, yeah, and and really enjoyed the second stint there too. Um, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, you know, there there comes a point where you think, oh, I don't know, I think this, I think this got took from me. Um, and being able to get it back, uh, and I, I know a lot of people, I know we've, we've both been through something like that. Um, yeah. being able to come back and do it and know that you're doing something you are, you're good at and want to get better at, 
is um it's a it's truly a blessing. Like it's a it's a really amazing place to have gotten. Yeah, yeah, and no doubt. And the people who know uh the history of that second stint for you and yeah. the ending for me at six seventy the score is one thing that I always what like I look back on and I regret it and I didn't regret anything else that I said or did or happened when I was there. But there was a comment that I made that I think was attributed to and, and like stapled to um, how uh, I felt and it wasn't aimed at you. And I think it got because I, I was I talked about the industry and how everybody sounded the same. And sure. there's a bunch of copy and paste guys running around. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and I think it got attributed to, and I, I felt like I, I reached out to you at the time. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I thought I did, but, um, to tell you congratulations and all the other things. Um, but I never, I never wanted to, to be misconstrued as like hate or me not appreciating your talent. And on top of it, I wasn't talking about you. So, so, um, <laughs> You know, we never really got a chance to talk, but, you know, as we sit here, Zoom to Zoom, <laughs> as we sit here, Zoom to Zoom, the only way we can kind of do things uh, these days. And, you know, obviously, I can get back out to the ballpark enough to try to come out there and see you. But uh, I've always thought about it and I don't have a lot of regrets, but uh, a guy who I appreciate and I, I think I respect and I admire uh, kind of caught a stray on that one. And at the time, I didn't give a fuck who was catching what strays. I was just upset. Um, and there, yeah, and yeah, and looking back on it, uh, I still and and I thought I did at the time, but if I didn't, you know, my my apologies if if that came across in a way that was uh was untoward. It was just it was my feelings at the time, and uh, it wasn't meant for you. And, no, uh, I, and I, I and I'm proud. I'm proud of you. I'm proud thank of you. you. I'm proud. I appreciate of you, you saying it. Um, this shit kicks out a lot of kicks out a lot of good people and a lot of a lot of talented folks and. Um, I think you were in the line of fire of something that was already on the way, you know, <laughs> headed towards its destination anyway. So I appreciate it. Um, you did text. We texted back and forth a couple of times. Um, and then I, I think, you know, I, I think what's worth saying is that in this industry, you are, you are most likely taking your next job from a friend. You know what I mean? Like that's... yeah. In, in this in this city, the way this works, you are most likely taking your next job from somebody that you learned from, got close to, or were friends with, or are, are friends with, really. Yeah. You know? My first TV and, gig. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. I I think to, uh, my gig. I mean, I... Yeah. No doubt. I love Chris. No um, doubt. No doubt. And I, I think when that stuff happens, you know, there's there's kind of two ways to go from it. And I, you know, I... I you know, I, I read or, or heard what it is that you said, and that's fine. I think, you know, and I understand where you're coming from, too. I, I harbor no way will. I think it means something, though. You know, and I think it's worth noting, like, I I learned from you. I learned with you while you were doing shows on the score when, when you were doing nighttime stuff and I was doing updates and everything like that. Mm-hmm. To hear stuff like that, especially when you're me in this industry, you know, hearing from you, it's like, okay, maybe it doesn't mean me. And it was, you know, before you take, step your game up, like, let's, let's make sure it's not, you know, there's, there's some agency to that too. And I think that's, I think that's worth talking about in this, in this industry at this point, given our outlets, given the different ways we can be creative, the different ways, you know, I mean, like, it's, it's more than it used to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, 100%. 
There's a 100%. lot more than it used to be. So it's a bigger world things. than we were born into. Yeah, man. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, wanted to get that out the way because I, I said it publicly and I, I'm not one of these fucking guys, hopefully, that just does shit. And, you know, the retraction is always in the small print, right? So yeah. uh, just just making sure that we are square as, as individuals and understanding that I am uh, I'm, I'm fond of your work, my man. You teach me. And, and you know what's so crazy? You, you baseball guys, you guys got it easy in with me. This fucking guy just dropped the ball. I'm watching the uh, Cubs-Diamondbacks game, by the way, on DVR. I know I God shouldn't be. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Like, you know what's okay. so crazy? Let me, can I be real with you in this moment? Bring it. Yeah, come on, Chris. Like... <laughs> Like, I remember when I moved to Atlanta, the first thing I did was like, thank God I don't have to watch six hours of baseball a night. And, and, and I don't think people understand. You know, like, people who have the nine to fives every, yeah, I know, smallest violin in the world. I got you. We're doing everything that everybody wants to be doing. It is beautiful. The, the compensation is amazing. The perks yep. are outstanding. Like, the fact that we get a chance to talk about this for a living I will never, ever, ever look it in the face. But boy, there are some nights when you just, it's the summer. <laughs> and, and, and you're looking at 10 o'clock like, ooh, shit, come on, 1030. Because <laughs> I know this game's got three hours and 15 and it's minutes and it is max. And then you have a day like today where one decides to play at one and the other one decides to play at seven. And like I said, smallest violin. But yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And always have been. And, and like I said, you baseball guys got an, in, an easy in with me because I rely on you, right? Because of how late I did get into the sport as a kid and try to decipher between, all right, who knows what and who's just just a fan of baseball. Like, sure. what can I learn from these people? And, and you're one of those guys in this city, man. I, I appreciate your presence uh, top to bottom, top to bottom. So before we let you go, um, Worst day of your career, best day of your career. Worst day of my career was, uh, oh man, I forgot you asked guys this. Uh, worst yeah. day of my career, worst day of my career was getting like open score, I think, up to this point. Um, you know, given where I was in life, what I was looking to accomplish, what I thought I had coming next for me, all that kind of stuff. Uh, also, I don't know if you know this, but there was a raging pandemic on threatening the national health of literally everyone on the planet. So that was, it didn't, it also sucked that day also. Sucked. Right. I think that was right. Day. Right. Best day. I've had some good ones. Um, and I, I appreciate them all. I think, you know, the day I stepped into the booth, uh, with DJ and got to call my very first baseball game as a major league baseball game. Um, you know, I, I'd done nine innings of play by play before that for a high school all-star game. That, that was it. <laughs> That's it. Um, so I stepped in there and did my first nine innings. It was a walk off. Yeah. Yu Chang threw the baseball off the back of Yasmani Grandal's head when he was heading from first to second base. Nick Madrigal came around the score and I didn't see the baseball. Nobody did. Is. And, I, I called a walk-off winner for the, for the White Sox for a major league baseball team in my first baseball game. I, and that's, that's probably as good as it gets, you know, and I, I think I've, you know, I've listened to these before too. I, I hope there's better. You know what I mean? Like I, I, that's, that's the whole point. That's the reason, 100%. you know, as lame as it is, that's the actual reason we do this. You know, 100%. We, we think we can get better at what it is that we're doing. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, we we've yet to experience our best day until they take these motherfucking microphones from us, man. So I appreciate you. Uh as always. Um you and Adam Hogue will be uh will continue to be the University of Wisconsin guys who are bothering the shit out of me on my timeline, even though you don't know you're bothering me, because anytime dudes get to the to the sweet sixteen or to a Rose Bowl, I know who I can count on to be waving that U dub flag and it's it's you two dudes. So Hey man, uh, you, we are we are one quarterback away from actually showing up to a big time right. title game. That's oh, okay. it. That's all, all right. we that's all we've ever been. One you've been, quarterback you've been, away. You've been you've been saying that for a long time. You've been, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the damn bears. Yeah, Russell Wilson ain't walking through that door, brother. Oh, you but when it. he did, Jason. But when he did. Mm, mm. Oh, man. Shout out to the grand merchants of the world. You'll figure it out at some point, there my guy. Go. You'll yeah, figure it out. <laughs> Connor, thank you, man. This was a joy. I, I appreciate you, man. Hopefully we could do this again soon, bro. Love to, Jason. Love to. We'll see you at the ballpark. Come on out. Come on up. Say hey to me and Landon and DJ. And it'll be getting Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that sometime this right. weekend or and, well, and after probably the Yankees series. Too, just, you probably see me. I, mean, like, I, don't want to see <laughs> I love everybody I see. I'll come out there and say what's up to everybody. Thank you, man. I truly appreciate you. And coming up next, we get a chance to chop it up with the host of the New York, New York podcast here on the Ringer Network of Podcasts. He is John Yastrzemski. We will be breaking down the Yankees and the White Sox as they get set to tussle. And I'll be asking him about some other things going on in New York sports. Hey, guys, this is Ozzy Guillen, and you are listening to the full goal with Jason Goff on the ringer in a spot five. I got to ask you, man, this, this, uh, this Yankees thing, like just watching it, you know, and especially during that four game series, I was, you know, nasty nester going against, uh, Dallas Keuchel, uh, tomorrow as we're recording here tonight, uh, on Thursday night. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, is this thing too good to mess up? Uh, especially with the the pitching that they've got now, I know they got some bullpen issues go- going on right now in terms of, say, you know, uh, Luizaga and and all the other things that I'm hearing about the Yankees. But right now, as a Yankees observer, is this thing in cruise control for the rest of the season, uh, barring any unforeseen injury? I'm not willing to go that far, Jay, but I am as stoked about the Yankees as I've been in quite a while because, you know. 2017 was the year they kind of came on the scene with like Aaron Judge and the Baby Bombers and they ended up making the ALCS and it was like a feel-good ride. They got everybody back into believing in the Yankees once again. The last couple of years, though, they've had quality teams that have underachieved. This year feels different. Why does it feel different? Judge and Stanton are healthy. They're playing like monsters. They have balanced out the lineup. You guys in Chicago know about Rizzo. I can't get enough for Rizzo. The <laughs> guy is such a stud. Goff, you have no idea, dude. Last year at the deadline, I am screaming, can they get a lefty in this lineup to balance it out so that way you have that lefty in between Judge mm-hmm. and Stanton and Rizzo. Dude, fouls off a ton of pitches. He's got a swing that's tailor-made for Yankee Stadium. The dude is the perfect Yankee. He plays unbelievable first base. So I think him being in the lineup has made a difference. And they're better defensively. They run the bases a lot better. And you hit on that pitching. 
their pitching has been as good as anybody's in all of baseball. So that's the end result to why the Yankees have the best record basically for two plus months of the year. Uh, we still got a long way to go. You don't mm-hmm. win a championship and a parade in the middle of May, but I'm fired up, bro. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, you definitely established what it used to be, what, five, six times through the rotation. So you figure out who you really are now. We're what 38, 40 games respectively into this season. And for, for Sox fans, you know, the last couple of years were, were the this is what we waited on moments, right? For, for three or four years, trying to middle it, trying to figure out what you need, what you are and who you have to be going forward. You get rid of some of the old heads, you, you start to rebuild. And then, you know, you, 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 the Luis Roberts of the world start rolling around. Yoan Moncada starts to feel like the prospect that he was when he was in Boston. And and all of a sudden, Lucas Giolito starts to pitch well. And now you find yourself in a situation where Tony La Russa becomes a manager. And it, you ask yourself, did Jerry Reinsdorf, did the powers that be, Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, think that this was a lineup and a staff, especially with the youth involved, and then throwing Lance Lynn on there as well? Is this something that you can't mess up, no matter how long you've been away from the game? We've seen some bumpy moments, especially last year in the playoffs. It was just two different animals on the field, right? A team that wasn't ready for prime time just yet, and the Houston Astros, who had been there and had done that and had a chip on their shoulder about the postseason uh, shenanigans from years past. So it, it, it was definitely apparent the, the steps that this team needed to make. And then you come into this year, I mean, White Sox fans have watched this offense struggle this year. And of course, you have to get used to not having Eloy Jimenez for the last couple of years. You have to get used to not having Luis Robert. But the fact that this offense is full, what a full almost two runs less than it was at this point last year uh, is, is reason for concern because it's not Frank Manichino is not telling people not to hit. But um, this this team needs to redefine its strike zone. Uh, you know, th- if you throw anything out of the zone in, in high pitch leverage, kind of you know, great pitch count situations for, or I should say, pitchers count situations, you're gonna get White Sox hitters chasing. You're gonna get them fishing, and then you'll see the moments where Luis Robert is an MVP type candidate. You'll see the moments where Tim Anderson takes over a ball game like he did against the Royals in the finale of the series today. So um, the pitching, I really can't be mad at, is the defense and the hitting so far. And I think that was on display in the four-game series that they played against the Yankees. You know, Jay Goff, I got to admit, and full-go audience may not know this, I picked the White Sox at the beginning of the year to win the World Series. So I actually (laughs) hold... A ticket in my hand, courtesy of FanDuel Sportsbook. I think it was one of those like $50 free wagers. I got in on the White Sox, dude. I fell in love with him, man. And I love Tim Anderson's game. But I think you guys, in watching the series last week at whatever, what do they call it? Guaranteed rate these days? The old Comiskey, whatever the hell they call the stadium now. (laughs) You guys miss Iwa Jimenez, dude. Yeah, You miss him in that lineup. He's such a presence. He's got such pop. I wasn't as scared of the White Sox lineup once you started working your way down towards the bottom of the order. Don't get me wrong. Anderson's a stud. Luis Roberts is a stud. Abreu still brings it. Grandal is still a good hitting catcher. But, like, not having Eloy there, it didn't feel as deep, dude, yeah. as it did when I was watching you guys in the Field of Dream game last year. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, obviously, you know, Eloy Jimenez was labeled Lil Poppy. 
when he when he first came aboard. Like this was a guy you were expecting to be a, a 35 plus home run a year guy, a guy who's going to drive in 100, and a guy who's got you know he's a he's a pretty decent athlete for as big as he is now. A lot of people in the city have wanted to take away that glove. So I went to Chicago in 2019. First ever time in Chicago, by the way. Great time, okay. great city. Really right. enjoyed it. Can't wait to get back. I saw the White Sox beat the piss out of the Yankees for two days. One of the games was close, but Eloy Jimenez might have hit like three or four home runs in that series. And yep. that was when the White Sox was still like a sub-500 team. But I'm like, all right, they they made all those good trades. They're moving in the right direction. So I've been invested in my dude, Eli Jimenez, for like years in fantasy baseball. So I'm uh, I'm hurting as much as you guys right about now. Just throwing that out there. Just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> I don't I don't think you'll be hurting uh, this series. You got Keiko, who is seemingly every start is a referendum on the rest of his career, and especially where there's an innings kicker in his contract this year. And, and White Sox starting staff members have kind of, I won't say been disgruntled, but they've been noticeably perturbed at times when they've been taken out of some of these games and truncated spring training and Tony La Russa trying to look out for his arms. You know, Michael Kopech's been on a paternity list. He's He's been unhappy a couple of times being taken out a little bit too early. Dallas Keiko with the contract situation, he might gristle a little bit if, if you know, he's got five, six innings strong going and he has to come out the game. And now you got Johnny Cueto on the staff right now too before Lance Lynn gets back here soon. So I think the first the first two games match up favorably for the Yankees offense because Keuchel, he hasn't strung together, you know, a consistent amount of starts for me to believe that he's feeling like the Keuchel of old. He's still, you know, he's still getting hit pretty good. And of course, Johnny Cueto was nice in his first start, but he's still a guy coming off the scrap heap in the Yankee Stadium against that lineup. You know, Keuchel, historically speaking, owned the Yankees. Like when he was with the Astros, dude, they couldn't touch Dallas Keuchel. He shut him down the wild card game. I mean, this feels like another lifetime ago in 2015. Right. 2017, he was really good in a playoff start, and then he got bombed in the second playoff start. But that used to be like a big hurdle for the Yankees. Can they hit Dallas Keuchel? So it's weird hearing you as a guy who's covering Chicago sports. Like, look at Keuchel now as this – I, I see him as this former Yankee killer. That's always how I'm going to look at him. Right. But in many ways, bro, I get it. He's bounced around. He's clearly not the same guy that he was. And yeah, when you got arms coming back, uh, I, I know it. You know, sooner or later, father time, it's ticking on everybody. So a guy like Keiko needs to pitch well and maybe needs to rekindle some of that old school Yankee Stadium magic if he wants to remain in your rotation. And he needs to be on his A game because Cortez, dude, has been unbelievable. Like the funk. The flare, this guy has come out of nowhere. Yeah, and he's, he's pitching like one of the best pitchers in baseball. He was doing this last year, Jay, and mm -hmm. people wondered, hey, is it a fluke? Uh, can he do it again? And two months into the year, I mean, if I'm looking for a guy to start the American League All-Star game, oh, yeah. it's like Nestor Cortez and Dylan Cease. It's like one or the other, dude. Yeah. That's how good he has been. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, you know, I heard a lot about the Kluber effect uh, when when the Yankees were here last time, and how Nestor has kind of taken some of the things that Corey Kluber imparted into his game and and eliminated some of the stuff. You know, you saw you saw a guy like Javier Vasquez who was here as a Chicago White Sox starter years ago, and a guy, you know, you've got six really good pitches. Why don't you just narrow that down to two or three that you trust the most and go out there with that menu and not make it so hard? And if if Nestor isn't elevating the ball, it's going to be a long, long night for any White Sox hitter because, like I just mentioned, 
Uh, they've uh, they, they've gone fishing outside the zone a lot this year. Their walks are down, runs are down. Their home runs are the same. So you know they they're making contact on pitches that they like, but they're also swinging a lot of pitchers' pitches as well. And you know, in a in a big ballpark like Yankee Stadium, you got to be careful with that. Would you say in Chicago, the city as a whole is still fairly confident they're going to figure it out and win the division? You know. I think the confidence is waning. And I think okay. it's because yeah, okay. I think it's because of the relationships that that White Sox fans see uh when it comes to Tony Rusa and how he's interacted with some of the guys in the clubhouse uh and just some of the things that he might have missed that maybe a sharper Tony Rusa would have missed before. And on top of that, you got a lot of guys, you know, I liken it to NBA players, right, where those first three or four years, they're just trying to prove who they are in the league, whether you're a star player or you're a role player, whatever the case may be. And you, you, you're you bumping into those guardrails of trying to, you know, the league telling you who you are and then you feeling like who you are. I think the White Sox right now, they're, they're an average team because of talent only. They've played below average baseball. So they're, I think they're bumping into who everybody else thinks they are also mixed with who they think they are. The problem is you're not talented enough to not play the defense that you need to play, throwing behind bases and yeah, missing cutoff man. defense looked terrible yeah. last week. They're bro. one of the worst terrible. defenses in the Major League Baseball. And athletically, it shouldn't be that. No, it so, shouldn't be. you got too many athletic dudes on that team. Exactly. It's not like you're running out a bunch of butchers like the Yankees were in years past <laughs> where you understood, hey, Luke Voigt is playing first base. The guy can't move. Or they're playing guys out of position, like Gleyber Torres not being a shortstop. Like, you understand why your defense is bad. It's routine. It shouldn't be a bad defensive team. Yeah, it's routine stuff. You know, they, 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 they should be an average to above average defensive team. They're one of the five worst defensive teams by the metrics in all Major League Baseball. So if you're not hitting and you're not picking up the ball, you're, you're asking a lot from a starting staff that's already depleted because of injuries and, and you know, the loss of Carlos Rodon and things like that. Like, there's a lot that's, that's going on here where White Sox fans, especially with the inactivity during the offseason, White Sox fans were like, okay, you're telling me that this is going to be okay. A.J. Pollock has just started to swing the bat over the last couple of games, but he's looked lost for most of the year. Like, the things that, that White Sox fans were worried about have kind of reared their ugly heads in the first 40 games. So it's kind of one of those, you know, it's validation, it's confirmation bias in a way that you don't want it. And and I think White Sox fans are like, damn it, I told you so, instead of like, all right, we'll turn it around. And 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 that's the problem. You, you've been kicked in the nuts so many times as a White Sox fan that you don't have that hopeful sentiment. But, you know, they're too talented not to See, challenge and the division, for this division. Too, that's the yeah, other thing, Jay. Too talented. That division... You're not dealing with Toronto or Tampa right. or the Yankees where you're playing them 18 times. Who's the second best team in the AL Central? Minnesota? It's Minnesota. I mean, right. and I don't even think Minnesota's a great team, no. to be perfectly honest with you. No. The Guardians, they, they've been spunky. They've overachieved. Over 162 games, the White Sox should be better than them. I still think, and I may have wagered on this, so I may have doubled down on your boys. <laughs> I still think you will find a way to get yourself into October baseball and you're yeah. going to win the AL Central. That's yeah. my guess. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. And I think, I think there, there's some trade pieces out there. You know, Rick Hahn kicks the tires on guys in the offseason and then sometimes goes and gets them during the trade deadline issue. So, you know, or similar guys to what he was looking for, you know, right field, second base. There's still, you know, Josh Harrison. He's, he's, 
got all the swag in the world, seems like the coolest guy in the world, but he just isn't getting on base, right? So uh, for, for some of the shortcomings uh, at second base and, and in right field, it, it, even though A.J. Pollock is a part of the situation now, um, I, I think that Rick Hahn, if this team is close, will we'll go outside and, and, and try to acquire some talent. Um, so big series for, uh, you know, big series for the White Sox. I don't know how big a series it is for the Yankees. But. No, it's still big series. Listen, the Yankees still trying to grow in the division. Um, you want to keep playing really good ball and they got Tampa coming up, which is really the two teams that have owned MJ in the AL, the Astros and the Rays, and yep. they never win at Tropicana field. So they got a four game series coming up, but I still look at the White Sox at limits test, dude. I think this could be a playoff preview. Mm. I think both of these teams will be playing in October. So, okay. yeah, I mean, listen, you, you got a nationally televised game Sunday night. Let's go, man. This is a big series. All right, I'm looking at the same game parlays here, and I'm messing around. All right, I'm, I'm going to pick the White Sox to win the first game. See, we're going think... to be heads up in this, too. But we can maybe get one or two where I give you a Yankee prop to play and you give me a White Sox prop to play, and at least we can hit that, bro. You know? All right, let's, let's do it. Let's do All it. All right, so what White Sox prop am I playing tomorrow night? Uh, let's go Tim Anderson, two-plus hits, plus 230. I don't hate that. I yeah. don't hate that yeah. because he's going to hit top of the order. He's going to get a ton of chances. He saw Nestor Cortez last Sunday, and if you get Nestor out of the game, multi-hit game for Tim Anderson, okay, I'm in on that. Yeah, and I'm there's an on emphasis that. on there's, – there's an emphasis that has been put on by the hitting coach and, and – the White Sox staff, they had a meeting this morning about seeing more pitches. They went out there and Hernandez can't, you know, he, he can't hit, hit a boat if he fell out the water, uh, says my guy Connor McKnight. So uh, they, they saw more pitches. Tim Anderson took over that game. I, I, I hope and I think he will continue his, uh, his good play in Yankee Stadium. All right, here's the one I'm going to give you from a Yankee perspective. This guy's All been right. swinging a much better bat as of late. I think with the warmer weather, it has kind of got him in his comfort zone. Josh Donaldson to get an RBI tomorrow. Okay. Plus 125. I know Judge and Stanton are sexy and like they're the obvious ones. Yeah, right, right, but right. I'm telling you, Big Josh has been swinging it good for the Yankees and he's going up against the lefty pitcher. Plus 125 to get an RBI. Or if you want to take him to get a hit, you could do that too, which I think is like right around even money. Yeah. Uh, Donaldson to get a hit is at minus 180. So take your pick there, Jay Goff. All right. I like that. I like that. And I will go over the run total. Eight and a half runs. I think some runs will be put on the board tomorrow, as I mentioned. Hopefully Dallas Keiko and uh they, you know that sinking fastball and that change is working. But I uh I suspect some runs will be put on the board. So I'm, so you're I'm going, going with the over? See, I don't have a good feel for that. I'm, no? I'm staying away from it. I no? can't go over and Nesta Cortez starts, dude. The guy's been too damn good. I'm not it's putting it on until, Nesta. Until I see him get <laughs> lit, you know what I mean? I, I don't want to be on the losing end of that bad boy. All right. Okay. All right. So there it is. All right. We got the bet slip in. We we got – I got the White Sox on the money line. I got Tim Anderson to record two hits. You gave me Josh Donaldson to record an RBI, and I'm going crazy with it on a Friday night in Yankee Stadium. I'm going over I mean, what is that going to pay out with the White Sox as like a 170 underdog? You might be getting like 10, 11, or 1, bro. Uh, I wager 10 bucks, 245, 38 is the win. I'm going. That's that's a uh, hefty parlay, my man. 
That's nice. That's nice. I'd be rooting for you. It's a shame I can't be rooting for you because you're playing my team later on. I tonight. know. So sorry, I know. bro. I apologize. No, no, no apologies necessary, man. If I if I hit, I'll send some of it your way. I'll buy you there, a bottle or whatever you, you drink. Well, next time you're in town, uh, you could treat me to some uh, some d- deep dish. Okay. Uh, there it is. <laughs> there, there it is. Hey, hey, what are the Knicks gonna do with that pick? Dude, that's a million dollar question. I I want to see the Knicks aggressive in the free agent market and in the trade market. And it's going to require some creativity. It's going to require a prayer that somebody could take that awful Julius Randle contract off the books. Dude, isn't it amazing? A year ago, Julius Randle was like the toast of the town. Everybody loved the guy. Nick fans had no problem giving him that contract, even though he stunk up the joint against the Hawks in that first round series. Mm -hmm. He sucked last year. His efforts sucked. I'd rather see Obi Toppin. I'd rather see the young players that they have. The problem is there aren't that many teams that are going to be saying, hey, let's let's take Julius Randle with right. open arms. And that's going to kind of get in the way of what they want to do. Pick, listen, I will, I'll take a 3 and D guy. If they, if they have an opportunity to go and make that pick and they're not in on Mitchell or they're not in on another big name, because sooner or later, Jay, I think they have to be in the star market, like yeah. it's long enough for Leon Rose, uh, World Wide West. I was promised, you know, all these great connections they have. My man CAA. Steve Stout, hasn't, yeah, hasn't exactly panned out from a Nick perspective. <laughs> right. Let me tell you, I, I, I've lived it. I, I've not seen much <laughs> since the days of Ewing and Oakley and Starks and Spreewell right, and Houston. Right. But uh, the Arizona kid, Matherin. If you tell me right now the Knicks have to make a pick, and he's there. I take Matherin with the eleventh pick in the draft. How's that? There it is. I, I will. Uh, I will book it, my man. Always good to see you, JJ. I follow you on Instagram. I see your exploits. You're always running somewhere or being you're photographed in your fine suits or playing golf in some beautiful scenic uh, background. Uh, I don't know lo- if it's so beautiful. Some of the dog tra- dog tracks and dog sleds <laughs> I'm playing in the tri-state area. So nice, nice of you to say that. Try to butter me up a little hey, bit. Hey man, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying. Like, I'm, I'm driving. I'm driving suits. traffic. Like, I was like, okay, now we're on to something. The golf courses I play ain't so beautiful, bro. I'm All driving traffic, Vegas, you know. I'm, dri- I'm driving traffic to the uh, the the JJ Bombs 19 Instagram uh, website, man. Thank you, I appreciate you as always, my man. Jay Golf, anytime, man. And I'm looking forward to welcoming you to New York, New York on Sunday. So a little day night home and home, if you know what I mean. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thanks, bro. It's the full cool golf. That's all the time we have for episode 105 of the Full Go Podcast. Join us on Sunday as we break down the Yankees and the White Sox. And of course, we got some basketball we need to get into. And we're going to address what the hell is happening in college football with these coaches going crazy and LeVar Ball's comments. So we got a lot. We got a lot. Trust me. Hang out with us on Sunday. want to say thank you to our guest, Connor McKnight. He of the hosting duties of the pre and post game show for the White Sox flagship station. Also, I want to thank John Yastrzemski, JJ, hanging out with us from the New York, New York podcast, chopping it up. Yankees, White Sox, got some Knicks stuff in there as well. So all love to my New York brethren, my man, John Yastrzemski. As always, 
Our production staff, the active Jesse Lopez, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, my main man, Tony Gill. For the fellas, we appreciate you, and we need you to jump in on that voicemail line. If you've got anything on your head, on your heart, whatever you need to get off your chest, feel free. The full goal voicemail line is open at all times, 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. All right, for the fellas, I am Jason Goff, thanking you for doing whatever you do with this podcast and for this podcast, rating or reviewing it, downloading it, subscribing it, sharing it, hanging out with your friends and family, or I guess, you know, you can work out to this as well because it's usually about 45 minutes to an hour. Whatever you do to this pod and for this pod, thank you. I appreciate you so much. For the fellas, I am Jason Goff. Thank you for listening to the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff right here on The Ringer. As always, Spotify is the gang. Remember, take care of each other and be safe. Oh,